0: Hello everyone, thank you for tuning into the Becker's Ambulatory Surgical Center podcast series. I'm Angie Stewart, an assistant editor for Becker's ASC Review. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Robert Bray to discuss ASC's outlook after the initial hit of COVID-19, as well as opportunities for growth and more. Dr. Bray is a neurological spine surgeon and founder of Disc Sports and Spine Center. He is widely recognized as the pioneer of modern day spine surgery. With over 28 years in private practice, he has performed over 13,000 successful procedures and holds over 25 patents on the techniques and instruments used worldwide. Dr. Bray, thank you for talking with us today.
1: Angie, it's a pleasure to be here, thank you.
0: Great, so with that introduction, let's just jump into the first topic in our conversation today. What is your outlook on the ASC industry in the wake of COVID-related shutdowns?
1: Well, in short, I I think it's great. We have incredible opportunities in front of us for growth. In the initial phase when this all hit back January, February, which seems like eons ago, uh, we had initial cutbacks that were very significant. We chose to cut out all pain management and general ortho procedures and just concentrate on spine hoping that that would decrease our contacts and really limit and put put walls up to what we came in and then develop the protocols. But we've seen during this period of time incredible growth and have actually filled in all of the cases we cut out of the lower acuity or higher volume cases, we've filled them all in with spine. So we've had almost a 30% growth in, in spine volume and, and that's without adding the other things back in yet. So I, I think COVID is really driving protocols that, that are making us stronger and better and, and really giving us an incredible opportunity for growth.
0: Absolutely. That's great to hear you have such a successful rebound. As you mentioned, those, those shutdowns really hit practices hard. So as you look at, you know, this positive outlook, there are still some challenges that remain for ASC's. So for your center in particular, what are the biggest challenges when you look at short-term and long-term recovery?
1: Well, the challenges initially were, were dealing with change and, and just things being done differently. And I'll, I'll give you two examples. Um, one, DISC was built originally with a, a massive air handling system, UV filtration, high high HEPA, uh, high flow. But we, we changed our air handling system even more from there, included the clinics and and back office and, and space. So we've gotten down to three minute air exchanges in the entire place. Uh, we've worked very hard to change employee-employee contact. We, we have a policy that no employee shall be within six feet of anybody for more than six minutes. So we don't have any close contacts. But that also is translated to decreased employee-patient contact. And in a way, it's made it more personal. The, the individual spends more time with the patients, but they're they're handed off less from one to the next. And but it's overall decreased contract contacts of, of ability to transfer. And you know these these have it, it led to changes that that are actually working out for the better. Our, our short term, our biggest problem we have right now is keeping up with with nursing and staffing. Uh, healthcare shortages and workers, and the, the number of workers that have become positive, with times off from their their uh, practice and their employment, it's just been a challenge keeping up with our growth and keeping up with with the staffing. And the biggest challenge has been with since this is a novel virus, and we just didn't know what to expect. Is sorting out all the science and and sorting out the politics of of what's happening recently, you know, especially with the elections coming up but trying to keep pace with the, the changes in, in guidance and protocols. Uh, we've actually developed our own uh, intelligence company called Ampersand and we're generating a 25 page weekly report on all of the changes that are happening week by week. And just trying to mold those all into daily operations has been the biggest short term challenge and make the adjustments.
0: Definitely. It sounds like there's a lot of logistical moving parts and staffing and just a lot of things to manage right now to weather this. One thing that stays consistent, you know, it was here before COVID and it's here to stay is payer issues and reimbursement issues. So When you look at that, what is the payer landscape like in your market right now? How has it changed since the pandemic began? And what are you anticipating as, as we look at the rest of the year?
1: Yeah, and before we go there, let me just. Uh, I want to finish up one thing on the, the the challenge was defining as we take that to the longer term, which was the the translating all that into what we've learned in the higher volume, and and the reason is that that leads into the payer question, and and one of the things we absolutely have to do is is get uh, testing that's cost affordable, fast response, uh, non resource limited. And, and the ability to push things through, um, I, I think it's fascinating what what Finland's doing with the dogs. I'm, I'm tempted to go get a couple of German shepherds for the front of a desk and and just have them sniff the people on the way in the door. But they're showing incredible accuracy. But we need yeah. to develop that, and and developing that is is so important to to go on a forward basis and take this package to the payers. Now the payer landscape. I, I think this is the topic I'm. Singularly the most excited about and and boy that's a change from the past. We used to think of them as our adversary But uh, we've been working a program here. That's that's very exciting and interesting It, it We call it trius global, but we have developed a package for working with the payers That is a global billing package and we we started with blue shield with global one and we uh instituted with United across the board uh, we're starting now with Blue Cross and Cigna and others to follow hopefully, but what we've developed is a a very interesting program and it's it's the site of service obviously the a s c and the ability to move to high acuity low volume cases uh, you know meaning it's not a colonoscopy or something we have to run fifty a day through, but we have had days where we've run. Eight, 10, or 12 or more spines through now. And in doing so, you know, decreasing that event of care, and that's by very carefully looking at case costing. Uh, Karen Reeder, my CEO, has just got incredible experience in this and in, in negotiations with uh, the companies for implants to case costing from just every piece of it. And then really monitoring our quality markers. But what we've been able to do is develop a global payment by case type. Now, this is an amazing program. You think for, for a patient who walks in the door here with one of these programs. And it, it covers, for the Blue Shield, everything, right down to the covered California and, and the HMOs and, and all. It covers all of it. Patient walks in the door, they have one deductible or copay left that they may have left. And a lot of it may be used up. That amount of money they owe to their insurance company, not to me, to us, there is now no bill generated to the patient. They do not get billed. We settle for one price with the insurer, and out of that price, we pay the surgeon, the assistant, the the anesthesia, the center, the implants, the monitoring. There's no other bills generated whatsoever. And the patients just absolutely love that. And what it's done is uh, allowed us a, a working relationship with the payers that they are very excited because we're moving the, the, the cost down for them in the, in the big picture. So the, the payer mix is, is, you know, in California here, is, is heavily on Blue Shield United and the other players coming in. But we're, we're excited about taking this package out to TRICARE, Medicare Advantage, uh, developing expansion with HMOs, uh, it 's really developed a working relationship with the pairs it 's become very important and and working very very well
0: that really is uh truly exciting I've, i i haven 't heard of any other programs like that so where did you get the idea for this and have you heard of you know similar programs
1: well the the concept with bundling you know started and and the government did it with with uh, total joints uh, it's but that that decision making is fairly easy right hip left hip and yes or no spine was a huge challenge because there are so many different available possibilities of what you can do from a micro disc to a decompression from rods and screws to a front and back to an epidural and an exercise program i mean there's just so many decision making processes that go in so developing a data set that allowed us to to go across the board and and develop a, a fee scale has really been a, a monumental task. We've been working on it for a long time. Um, no, I'm as far as I'm aware, this is really the first program. Was the, the idea was started with Global One with Scott Leggett, but it's been carried forward from there with all these other payers and bringing in all the other pieces. You know, the the net is that. We've been able to define because of the site of service reallocation to ASCs the, the cost and we've moved the cost cost basis down to the insurers a lot. We we just returned a year of data to United and we've moved the cost of the event down up to thirty and forty percent, which is unbelievable for an insurance company. They look at two or three percent as a big deal. We we've moved thirty and forty percent. Uh, we monitor quality we We have had zero infections. I, I have not had one of my patients in the last year admitted to the hospital for a readmit for a urinary retention for anything and we've had we 've had uh, no transfusions our, We monitor patient satisfaction we 're running at ninety nine plus percent uh, we 're collecting patient data on outcomes analysis and and our numbers are running higher than ever and we benchmark against every national basic benchmark and we've shown that that they are increased uh, on the on the outcome analysis so you know taking all this to the putting it into a package has been a a, a giant big project but it's uh, now returning the data to the insurers they're very excited about it and they're they're driving us business and it's helping drive the growth
0: so yeah it's, absolutely it's been an
1: interesting project and it's it's really growing
0: yeah, it's great to hear that you've had so much success with it. And it's definitely an impressive model in, in those numbers you mentioned, 30 40% moving the needle for payers, huge stuff there. So with this model in place and um, with all the other moving parts in healthcare right now, coronavirus and in the political landscape, as you look at, at the next two to five years, where is your center's biggest opportunity for revenue growth?
1: Well, I think one of the interesting things that's happened also with COVID, it's been a push, is that our biggest impediment to growth was, we found, was actually unexpected and quite interesting, but our biggest impediment to growth was surgeon acceptance. We, we've been able to get the payers on board, and we've been able to get the center built, and we've been able to handle the cases in and and ever-increasing acuity. I mean, we're doing front and backs as an outpatient. Pedicle screws, laterals. Uh, I I took a tumor out this week as an outpatient, intradural tumor. We're doing incredible cases in outpatient. So all that has been something we've been tackling progressively. The biggest challenge was getting the surgeons to accept this environment over hospital. And one of the things that COVID has done is has shown the surgeons the the difficulties and the the challenges as a pandemic hits in having their practice. When the hospital shuts down and says we we're not going to have anything but emergency care, or we're just cutting all electives, what do they do? They all of a sudden have no practice. So it it's really you know opened the eyes of a lot of surgeons to be say we need to have a broader capability. We need to have a, a, a variety of types of access sites to work at. And gee, look what's happening in the outpatient world. We should take a look. So. Our one of our biggest growth revenue drivers is going to be bringing on new surgeons. I've I've brought on four surgeons in the last three months alone. Uh, we're at nine spine surgeons working out of the place now, and you know that just brings more and more volume. So I think that that and and the other is developing a repeatable package for this billing model, the 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 Trias Global, um, you know, getting that data to the payers and and then being able to educate the, the other other facilities, other places on how it works, what you have to do to be within that cost guideline and, and how you work it. It's, its We now have the challenge of, uh, of incorporating that into a, a, you know, an expandable model. Uh, we have the, the request now from the insurers to start expanding that piece. So a lot of challenges to, to education and a lot of challenges to developing And and I think one of the biggest things we need to do is to look at how this whole future wraps into the healthcare system uh, beyond just the ASCs, but how do we wrap this all together? A a very difficult landscape to negotiate, but I think the hospitals need to be open-minded in how this all fits in and where it does. Um, You know, I'm bringing in more surgeons. I'm actually increasing the volume of business, and we're increasing the spinoff to them so we we all need to work together, and this has been a great step because everybody's uh, uh, on board uh, so far, and we 've got a lot of, a lot of hurdles to landscape to to keep putting it together, but we 're getting there
0: yeah, absolutely, and I, I would like to follow up on that too. So you mentioned getting hospitals to really rally around um, this new outpatient movement is going to be crucial going forward. <laughs> Do you have any strategies that you that you could share? Um, um, just an overview, overview not anything to, in the weeds to put you on the spot, but anything that could help other leaders, you know, kind of make this push.
1: Yes, I, I think that, that, you know, first off, data is driving things to the future. And, you know, we need to, we need to continue to develop data. We're actually developing an AI-driven model right now, where we're looking at uh, on a case population basis. So if I have a thousand patients come through the clinic, and that's for us, that's every couple of weeks, um, we have a a large volume coming through. We look at at how the utilization is and decision-making is coming out of those doctors, okay? And then taking it back to an outcomes analysis piece and actually this AI-driven model starting to look at how the doctors are making decisions. As we're doing that and getting that data, we're, we're finding out that you know, the large number of cases can be addressed on a more minimally invasive basis and get an equal outcome uh, or a better outcome and less complications and therefore a, a better cost efficiency. Now you translate that into how do you work that with a hospital, I have an increasing number of surgeons. I have a a better uh, model for payment and and it translates into the surgeon's reimbursement and and they're able to get a, a better reimbursement actually than they were getting off the other contracts. And then you have to take all that data and sit down with the hospital administrators and with the systems and say, okay, here's the future, it's where it's going. This is where it plugs in now there's always going to be those higher uh, acuity cases that are comorbidities there's always going to be the larger cases that have to be hospital based there's always going to be you know the spin off of other of other problems that come up and as they see this volume being conglomerated in, in one area where i do all of the marketing and business development and 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 develop all the contracting the hospitals get the spinoff without putting the money into it. They save the money on that end, but they actually increase their business. So it's, it's, you know, it's a balance. And uh, I think that that's a, a lot of discussions that have to happen over the years to come and a lot of uh, uh, work. And then, and then there's the ultimate for option of, you know, co-investment and co-ownerships, but letting the ASC still run it autonomously, but, but co co-ownership and co-development and sharing of these contracts. So I think there's a lot of opportunities to discuss with them. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see more of an open mind from the the systems that in, in taking advantage of this. And and I think we will see that trend develop more. Uh, so it's, uh, it's got a long way to go, but the, the, opportunities are immense and, and as it comes together, I, I, I think we're going to have uh, what we really wanted, decreased cost, increased quality, increased satisfaction, and better choices, Um, data-driven. That's the answer, and it's where it's going.
0: Yeah, definitely. It sounds like you have your finger right on the pulse of everything, and, and I think we've touched a lot today, covered a lot of the major trends and topics that leaders like yourself are facing. So as we wrap up, do you have anything else you'd like to share with your peers?
1: Well, you know, I, I, the thing I'm most excited about is that we are here today having this discussion. 20-plus uh, years ago, I gave a lecture at Becker's on I'm going to start doing outpatient spine, And boy, did I get some awkward looks at that presentation. It was at a Becker's hospital meeting. And uh, it, it didn't even register on the pie chart. It, it didn't even exist. It wasn't even 1% or a quarter percent. It wasn't even on the, on the pie chart of how many patients are done as an outpatient. And, you know, that, that, that was about 22 years ago. I first opened the first outpatient center dedicated to spine. And, you know, now as I look here today, it's a major player in the spine market and, and really has advanced tremendously. And I believe offering an incredible opportunity for merging to the future. So, um, it's just a matter of negotiating. It's been a long, took a little longer than I thought. I, I thought it was going to be done in five or six years, and you know, it's taken 20. But, but we're here today, and and despite a pandemic um, that stressed the system, we're coming out better and stronger. So, um, very excited about it. I, I think there's a lot to be done, and, and, and a lot to merge together. And, but as we're bringing together all the players and. and you know, putting all the interests together, the patient, the, the surgeons, the centers, and get the healthcare systems and payers. Um, I, I just think we have a great opportunity in front of us.
0: Fantastic. With everything that's going on today, it's really truly great to hear your positive outlook and, and all the things that are exciting in the ASC space. So thank you, Dr. Bray, for your time and the great discussion today.
1: Angie, thank you so much.
0: Listeners, uh, you can tune into more podcasts from Becker's healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com. Thank you for tuning in.